Good morning. This is the March 1st episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we're on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone who wants to join us. I'm John, and on today's episode, we're talking about what unforgettable ECW moment happened on this day in 1998. Every wrestling show opens with a video sequence of some of the most memorable spots and performers in the recent history of that company. Hogan slamming Andre at WrestleMania 3, Elizabeth on Randy's shoulder at 4, Warrior raising both titles at 6, Sean coming off the ladder at 10, blood dripping off the face of Stone Cold Steve Austin at 13, and literally just about any shot of legends like Bruno San Martino or Ric Flair in their primes. Of course, you never know when those moments are going to take place, and that's a good thing because it's my personal opinion that wrestling is at its best when it surprises the fans. It's early 1998 in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Not exactly a vacation destination that makes you want to pack up the wife and kids and hit the road in the family truckster, I'll grant you that. But ECW is really hitting its stride, and on this day in wrestling history, March 1st, 1998, they brought their first Living Dangerously pay-per-view to the Jersey Shore. Not yet a full year into their attempt to join the wrestling pay-per-view scene, this was a time when entering the phrase Jersey Shore in an internet search engine would result in beach and dining suggestions and not clips from cringe television programming. Roughly 3,700 people crammed into the Asbury Park Convention Hall to see a card that would have no world title or tag title match scheduled. The show opened with footage of Taz, pulling up to the building, letting himself inside the empty hall, and standing ten or so feet from the assembled ring with his television championship over his shoulder while declaring, I'm ready. The card opened with Jerry Lynn and Taz's cousin Chris Chetty defeating little Guido and Tracy Smothers of the full-blooded Italians. Masato Tanaka made his ECW debut in the second bout, defeating Doug Furness. This was a one-off at the time, but Tanaka would return to the States in June of 98, and as I explained in my very first story for you folks, episode 2 of this incarnation of the Daily Wrestling News Show, back in August, Tanaka would play a big role in ECW in the year that would follow. The next match featured former four-time ECW television champion, Two Cold Scorpio, taking some time away from his busy WWF schedule as Flash Funk, to return to his extreme roots and put on a nearly 30-minute banger with Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam. Though this card was largely panned by wrestling critics, you couldn't give a fair assessment of the evening without mentioning this match as the grappling highlight of the night. While it didn't have the storyline or the build of the main attractions later in the card, this match and subsequent win elevated RVD for what would be his historic run as television champion beginning just over a month later. Next up was a tag team three-way dance between the Dudley Boys, Balls and Axel, and New Jack and Spike. It would feature one of those moments I was referring to earlier. While WWE has a plethora of WrestleMania moments, ECW has its moments of extreme. Spike and New Jack hit stereo dives out of the balcony to put Bubba Ray and Devon through separate tables and to the floor at the convention hall. They would make their way back to the ring where more tables would be destroyed before Spike and New Jack would get the victory, while New Jack's music never stopped playing for 13 plus minutes. This pay-per-view gets some crap for its underwhelming main event, where the feuding tag champs Lance Storm and Chris Candido 
took time away from defending their titles to fight each other in a quote-unquote dream tag partners match. Candido would team with fellow triple threat member and world champion Shane Douglas, while Storm tapped Al Snow to join him. Snow and Storm get the win, but no one really cared much. Paul Heyman is accused of throwing everything but the kitchen sink into every match on this card to make up for the fact that two of the three titles in the company were not defended that evening. Admittedly, Heyman was digging deep when he did things like hiring adult film star Jenna Jameson to make her debut as an ECW reporter. She didn't add much but eye candy to the show in her one brief segment, but she did add Kiss a Porn Star to Tommy Dreamer's resume along his way to a victory over Justin Credible. But the whole night was kind of built around one match. After beating Shane Douglas to become the television champion for the second time in June of 97, Taz set out to raise the importance of the TV title to put it on par with the world title, and he did just that. Along the way, though, he fell into the trap of the dastardly triple threat. While Bam Bam Bigelow was seemingly on the outs with Shane Douglas, he went to Taz looking for a tag partner to face Douglas and Candido in hopes of taking out what was left of the triple threat for good. The match took place on January 31st in the ECW arena. And just as Taz seemed to be making his point and staking his claim that he was on the same level as now world champion Shane Douglas, it all turned out to be an elaborate ruse. Bam Bam leveled Taz with the very television title belt he held so dear. What followed was some of Taz's best promo work to date, often in a pitch black room with his face lit while partially obscured with a tattered towel. Taz would repeat over and over that all he could think of was, quote, the big schmuck from Jersey, Bam Bam Bigelow. And how, in Bigelow's hometown of Asbury Park, Taz was going to kick the dog shit out of him, much like Bam Bam kicked the dog shit out of Taz after turning on him in that tag match. Taz would actually thank Bam Bam for that beating, for smartening him up, from keeping him from going soft and continuing down the road he was on towards becoming a company guy. The wake-up call from Bigelow reminded Taz of who he was, not a celebrity or a superstar like Bam Bam, but an athlete and a miserable workhorse. In perhaps my favorite Taz promo of all time, the human suplex machine laid it out as his patience was growing thin. He would say, quote, I'm lifting in the afternoon. Late afternoon, I'm running some more. Early evening, I'm lifting some more. At midnight, I'm on the mat, wrestling. And what do I hear? Bam Bam Bigelow did another radio show in Jersey Taz. Bam Bam Bigelow did an interview with some football player about his golf game. Bam Bam Bigelow took his kids to some amusement park and went on some ride and broke the Ferris wheel. Meanwhile, back on the ranch in Brooklyn, I'm training. And Bigelow is out pushing himself, being a big star. That ain't me, bro. Come this Saturday night in your hometown, just the way I want it. All the odds against me, I'm going to show you why they call me champ. Even when I was a rule breaker, or a bad guy, or the heel, I never lied to the people, and I'm not lying now. I'm going to hook the Kata Hajime on you, and you're going to tap. I promise. Because I'm Taz, the ECW World Television Champion. Beat me, if you can. Survive, if I let you. End quote. Delivering that last line through gritted teeth and a locked jaw, 
Taz was in the zone and promised a rough night for Bam Bam, despite giving up not only the hometown advantage, but nearly six inches in height and 120 pounds in weight. But technique and leverage can make up for a lot, as Taz showed while opening the match by grinding Bigelow into the mat before taking him over the top rope with a clothesline that sent him to the convention hall concrete floor through timekeeper's table on his way down. Taz nearly took himself out when moments later he and Bam Bam brawled out onto the raised entryway and Taz T-boned the big man off the ramp and into the first few rows of the audience. Not only did Bam Bam fall roughly five plus feet to the floor, but Taz spilled off the edge of the stage with only about two feet between the platform and the guardrail and he nearly knocked himself out as he collided with the barricade on his way down. They would fight into and out of the ring as well as into and out of the crowd repeatedly as this very physical matchup would see more tables ruined, guardrails bent, and street signs utilized as weapons. But when Bam Bam tossed Taz over his shoulder to set up for the greetings from Asbury Park, the TV champ adjusted his weight and locked on the Katahajime as promised. And as promised, even with Taz clinging to the back of Bam Bam Bigelow and several feet off the ground giving up any leverage that would have made the hold more deadly, Bam Bam was tapping, and out of position referee John Finnegan, however, could not see the tap. And before he got the chance to reposition, a barely conscious Bam Bam stumbled backwards, and in a last ditch effort to get Taz off his back, Bigelow threw himself towards the mat, hoping to crush Taz under his body weight and break the hold. Even in MMA, this desperation move is a 50-50 proposition. Sometimes the hold gets released, sometimes it gets sunk in deeper. Technically, neither happened here, as Bam Bam and Taz and their combined 600 plus pounds of humanity hit the canvas, they continued right through the ring and disappeared into a hole the size of a goddamn refrigerator. Finnegan looked around as if to say, what the hell do I do now? As half the Garden State crowd chanted EC Dub, EC Dub, and the other half continued to stare slack-jawed at the crater for nearly a minute before the first signs of life. Bam Bam emerged slowly and rolled around on his back for a few moments, clearly in pain and still groggy from the judo choke. He eventually reached back into the void and yanked just enough of Taz out of it to get his shoulders flat and drop into a cover that would get the win and bring the television title back to the triple threat. As Finnegan handed the belt to Bigelow, ringside personnel climbed inside to assess not only Taz's condition, but the damage to the ring that still needed to play host to the night's main event. One man, dressed in blue workman's clothes with an EMT crest across his back, was perhaps the most apropos in the ring at the moment, as above and below the crest were the words, Damage Control. The Beast from the East was once again television champion, and he got there through a series of events that would be part of the opening credits to every ECW broadcast for the rest of its existence. It was truly a moment, and it happened on this day in wrestling history, March 1st, 1998, at ECW's first Living Dangerously pay-per-view. And if you want a little bonus wrestling history, coincidentally on this same day in 1992, Bam Bam Bigelow teamed with Big Van Vader to win the IWGP Tag Team Championship at New Japan's 20th anniversary show from the Yokohama Arena. Well, that's our show for today. The Daily Wrestling News Show is a Minutes to Bell Time production. Learn more at MinutesToBellTime.com. 
This episode was written by John DeConti. Subscribe to the Daily Wrestling News Show on your podcast player of choice and join us in the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group.